Corinthians chapter 12. If you need a Bible, uh, put your hand in the air and the guys will bring a Bible to you so you can follow along with us. There are dates that stand out in our mind, uh, never to be forgotten. If I say December 7th, 1941, immediately we remember Pearl Harbor, a day that will live in infamy. We, we don't have any trouble recalling that day and, and that event. If I say 9-11-2001, it'll be etched in our minds and our hearts as Americans as we watched the attack on our nation and we watched the towers on live TV fall down. For me, I'll have those images imprinted on my mind as long as I live having gone there and, and helped in that recovery. And so we, we look at those dates and we don't have trouble remembering them. Who can remember July 20th, 1969? Now, some of you can't because you weren't born yet. You had to read it in a history book. But I remember it. This was another significant date for America. This is the day that the Apollo 11 named the Eagle, put a man on the moon to take the first steps on that powdery surface. And as they landed that, that spaceship, they, we heard those words, Houston, tranquility base here, the Eagle has landed. Powerful words. The first astronaut, Neil Armstrong, had those words that have gone down in history, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Again, those are etched into our mind. And 20 minutes later, Buzz Aldrin, the astronaut, followed him and walked on the moon. And, and we think about that and we say, wow, you know, they went to the moon and they came back. And that's pretty remarkable to be able to travel that far and to navigate your way back after traveling there. And when they were on the moon, they had a quite a different perspective of the earth. In fact, Armstrong, looking back at the earth, is quoted as saying, it suddenly struck me that this tiny pea, pretty and blue, was the earth. I put my thumb up and I shut one eye and my thumb blotted out the planet earth. I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small. It gave him a completely different perspective than we have as we walk upon this earth and face the things that we face. Well, we're, we're going to be going uh, in our text today, and, and we're going to see that they weren't the first space travelers to gain a new perspective. Back in the first century, 
the Apostle Paul was taken much further than the moon, and it forever changed his perspective about life and about ministry and the things that he would face. So let's take a look. Second uh, Corinthians 12, verse 1, it says, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, remember, Paul was writing to encourage the Corinthian believers to stay the course, not to be distracted from following Jesus. And and he was also writing to uh, defend his apostleship. Remember, there were false apostles coming on the scene there in Corinth, and they were... uh, they were actually coming against Paul in, in personal attacks and, and they, were, they were boasting and, and bragging in themselves and their own abilities and, and, and really kind of building themselves up in front of the Corinthians to make the case that they were better equipped as apostles than Paul was. And, and so uh, we saw beginning in, in chapter 11 that Paul entered into what he referred to as a little bit of folly or, or foolishness in, in the fact that, that if they thought they could boast, really, he had much more to boast about if, if they were going to parallel their boasting against one another. And, and so if, if bragging was the key to success in ministry, Paul, speaking foolishly, said, I have much more to brag about. And, and so he continues with that same vein of thought here in chapter 12 by saying, if, if I must go on in boasting, it's not something he wanted to do, but if he, if he must go on in boasting, he'll go on, on to visions. And we see this vision unfold in these next verses. In verse 2 he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Now, we, we actually get to see another mark of Paul's character here. Um, he, he shows that it really was a difficult thing for him to boast. It wasn't something he wanted to do. He felt it necessary, obviously compelled by the Holy Spirit, to use this analogy in his writing to the Corinthians, but, but he really felt it difficult to boast. And so he, he actually, in, in this particular instance, begins to use the third person. He, he's speaking of himself. We're going to find that out when we get to verse 7. But, but he's speaking about this event in the third person, just, just, I think, because of his own personal difficulty in boasting. And so he says... Uh, uh, tells of this experience he had 14 years prior to writing this letter to the Corinthians. Now, uh, he, he's probably alluding to a story in, in Acts chapter 14 when he was in Lystra and the Jews from Iconium and, Iconium and A- uh, Antioch came against him and began to stone him and, and they drug him outside the city and they left him for dead. Now, it, it was very common when they, when they had one of these stoning events where they would actually stone the person until they died. And, and so um, it is possible that Paul died at this point when they were stoning him. And we don't know that for sure, but, but it's possible. At that time, he was caught up to heaven, 
in, into the presence of God. And, and notice he says here that he was caught up to the third heaven. What, what does he mean by the third heaven? Well, first let me tell you, it doesn't mean that there's different levels of heaven. You know, the first level is for the people who are okay, and the second level is for the people who did a little better, and, and the really cool people get to cruise in the third heaven. That, that isn't what he's talking about. It's not different levels in that sense. But the Bible refers to three different heavens. Uh, and, and the first being the atmosphere around the earth. Uh, it, it refers to the birds flying in the heavens. Well, that would be the atmosphere. And so that's one reference, the first heaven. The Bible also speaks of the celestial heavens that... As God placed the sun, the moon, and the stars in the heavens, that would be the the celestial realm. That would be the second heaven. But it's it's interesting that Yuri Gargarin, the Russian cosmonaut, who was the first one to orbit the earth, um, he's, he's quoted as making the comment, I don't see any God up here. Well, if he would have read the Bible he would have found out that he was only in the second heaven. He hadn't traveled far enough yet. That's why he didn't see God. It wasn't that God didn't exist. It was he was only in the, in the celestial heavens. And, and so then the Bible speaks about the dwelling place of God, and that's the, the reference Paul is making here to the third heaven. That's, that's the very presence of God. And, and so it's that place in the universe that God has established where his throne is and, and where his dwelling place is. And, and so that would be the third heaven. Now, uh, we see in, in Deuteronomy 10, this reference to heaven and heavens, uh, it says, Indeed, the heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord, also the earth and all that's in it. And, and, and so um, the, the reference there is, is speaking of the first, the second, the third, all of the heavens, the heavens and the earth belong to the Lord. In 1 Kings 8.27, Solomon, uh, writing after he, uh, or, or speaking after building the temple, this is what he says, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, much less this temple which I have built. And so what Paul is making reference to isn't the first time we see that there's, there's other references to what heaven would be, but the one the believer concentrates on is the, the dwelling place of God. That, that's where we're going to go to be with God when we leave this earth. And, and so the Bible makes mention of all three heavens, atmosphere, celestial, heaven, and the dwelling place of God. Now, Again, we don't know if Paul was actually dead at this point. In fact, Paul didn't even know. <laughs> he doesn't know if he's in the body or out of the body, but God knows and he trusts the Lord. And, and so he says this about it in verse 3. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and he heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for man to utter. So when he arrives in this place that he refers to as paradise, 
he heard inexpressible words that were unlawful for him to try to relate to us. Folks, he was in the very presence of God. And, and what he saw and what he heard is beyond our comprehension. It, it's beyond, uh, there, there's really no way for our finite mind to fully understand what Paul was looking at as he was in the presence of God. If, if we could truly grasp the reality of what is in store for us as Christians in this reward of heaven that God has promised to us, it would change our perspective on death. It would change our perspective on the things that we face in, in this life, the complications, the trials, the pressures. It, it would change all of it if we fully comprehended what God's, God has in store for us. You see, like Neil Armstrong, Armstrong's perspective had changed when he, when he realized the size of the earth in comparison to where he was in the universe, if, if we could have heaven's perspective, the things that we face on earth would have a different size as we face them. And yet we get so caught up with the here and now and we lose the perspective of eternity. It's interesting to me that in de- describing this view of heaven, Paul doesn't relate anything that he saw and only really a shadowy description of what he heard. When, when we think of this, we, we realize how, how different Paul's uh, communication about this vision or the, the, the fact that he was actually there, whichever it was, how it's so different in his description from those so-called visions today that people have. You know, people write books and movies about these near-death experiences where they say they were caught up into heaven and saw the bright light and saw whatever they saw, and they begin to describe everything that they saw. It's so different than Paul's approach. Paul doesn't even try to relate it because there's no words that can actually describe what he was looking at or what he heard. And, and so there's, there's no self-glorifying in Paul's description. There's no self-aggrandizing of, of what took place or, or, or any, anything of that in the description of his experience. Paul actually waited 14 years before he wrote about it. I mean, he, he didn't come back from that experience and just start writing books and telling people how wonderful it was that God chose him to go to heaven. 14 years later, and he writes about it in the third person. I want to tell you about a man. <laughs> I know a man who was caught up, whether in the spirit or out of the spirit. I don't know, but God knows. He doesn't bother at all with the beautiful descriptions of what he actually experienced. Instead, he says nothing of what he saw, and he says only that he heard things that were not lawful for him to even speak. They were inexpressible. And, and that word in the original language means unspeakable. There's, there's no words to speak about it. 
That's an interesting word. If you, if you follow that word inexpressible in the New Testament, there's other uses. In, in 1 Peter 1.8, it says, Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now that's a different word in, in the Greek language. Inexpressible means unable to be told out. It means you can keep expressing it over and over, and there's just no way that you can ever exhaust the joy and the ability to speak about the joy of knowing him. It's a completely opposite word than Paul is using in, in this inability to speak. They're unspeakable words to try to describe what he was seeing. And so there was no way for Paul to be able to describe heaven. There are no words in any human language that could adequately describe what he saw or heard. Now, I read a story of a, a little girl who was born blind and, and you know, all of her childhood, her mother would, would take her to the window and, and try to describe the beauty of what, what she saw, the sky and the beautiful clouds and the flowers and the birds and, and just trying to, you know, some way describe what it looked like to her daughter. Well, when she turned about eight years old, they discovered there was a surgery that could restore her eyesight and, and she would be able to see. And so she went through the surgery and, and she, you know, they had to kind of peel the, the bandages off in layers to let a little bit of light in at a time. And finally she got to the point where she could take off the bandages and she walked over to the window and looked out and just started weeping. Her mother was concerned. She said, what's, what's wrong? You know, what do you, what do you see? Is it frightening? She said, no. You didn't tell me it was so beautiful. And her mom said, you know, I, I did the best I could to describe it with words that I had, but some things you just can't describe without ever seeing them. And that's what Paul was experiencing. He's, he's looking at this and saying, there, there's no words that I could adequately use to describe what heaven and the presence of God looks like. And so... If it is Acts chapter 14, they, they drag him outside the city, they stone him, they leave him for dead. And, and so if he died, he's caught up into the presence of God, seeing and hearing the awesomeness of all of what that entails, being in the presence of God. Meanwhile, back on earth, his friends surround him, his dead body, and they're praying for Paul to come back to life. Well, that's a dilemma. So here he is in front of God, and God says, Paul, I got good news, and I got bad news. <laughs> the good news is you know what it looks like when you come back. <laughs> the bad news is I'm sending you back to earth. Your friends are praying for you to come back. And so you can just picture Paul waking up and looking at his friends and just punching the first one he sees. <laughs> no, that isn't what happened. That, that didn't happen. Actually, what happened is Paul got up and he went back into the city and preached the gospel and continued the work. But, but wow, heaven is going to be our reward as believers. What a great treasure to keep in our mind's eyes as we make choices in this life. If we could just keep heaven in our sights... It doesn't matter what the world heaps upon us. 
the creator of the universe who set all of this into motion, has promised us this amazing reward when we leave this life and enter into his presence, this reward called heaven. Now, when, when thinking of what heaven is, is going to be like in all of its splendor, how can you even contain the amount of praise that you can give to God? Somebody should say amen just about there. You get a little Pentecostal preaching this stuff. But, but Paul goes on to say in verse 5, Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Now, Paul was very careful to boast in a way that that didn't come across as prideful or arrogant like those false apostles that were coming in. His reason for bringing this up was just to combat those false apostles. And, and those self-appointed men who were saying things that were leading the Corinthians astray. And, and so now, from his heart, he, he points out that the only things truly worth boasting about in his life were his infirmities, the things that, that were his deficiencies in order for God to be glorified. You see, there's a, there's a valuable lesson in this text for, for our Christian lives. It's in my weakness that God is glorified. It's not in my strengths. It's in my weaknesses that God is shown in all of his glory and strength. You see, if I try to glorify God in my own strength, I fall miserably short of the glory that he deserves. However, in my weakness, in all of the weakness of my life, and everything that my weakness can produce. God can pour an abundance of grace upon me and be glorified through my life. And he can do the same for you. And Paul knew this. This, this is why he goes on to say in verse 7, now this is where it changes from third person to first person, so we know it's him, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by a, the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Now, because God had given Paul this amazing perspective of heaven, this ability to see heaven, because he saw this, because God had given him such insight into what a, a relationship with the living God was truly like, because God had used him to be an apostle to the Gentiles and, and to have it said of him that he turned the world upside down with the gospel message, because he used Paul to write half the New Testament, and because of the great things that God was doing through the life of the apostle Paul, God allowed this buffeting agent of Satan to bring a thorn in Paul's flesh. Why? Why, why would God allow that to happen? Well, 
One reason is it would have been easy for Paul in his humanity to start thinking more highly of himself than he ought to. I mean, he was getting to do some amazing things. He, he was getting to do things that, that most men will never, ever get to participate in and to be a part of. And, and so it's a natural thing in humanity to begin to think you're more important than you really are when you see those things begin to happen. It, it would have been easy for Paul to believe that God favored him in some way. And so to keep him from pride, because pride is so destructive, God allowed Satan to buffet him with what he refers to here as a thorn in his flesh. Now, for many years, people have speculated as to what this thorn in Paul's flesh really is. Most commentators believe that it it was some oriental eye disease that was prominent in the first century where you just have kind of this dripping ooze and pus coming out of your eyes. Not very becoming to look at, so hard to be prideful when you have this going on. Uh, they attribute this to his letters, talking about writing in such big letters with his own hand and, and you know, difficulty with, with being able to see. But we don't really know. I mean, it's all speculation, really. I mean, those are the best guesses because of what Paul wrote about himself. But I believe God left us in the dark on purpose. He didn't want us to know what Paul's thorn was. You see, if if he were to describe the thorn in detail, and for some reason we had the same infirmity, we would get prideful. We would be like, hey, you know, me and the Apostle Paul, (laughs) carrying our thorn around in our flesh, You know, look at my eyes, they're dripping, you know. However, the the Lord, the way the Lord left this topic, it's easy for any of us to be able to identify with Paul. Most of us have issues or have had issues to contend with that, that we may even be able to refer to as a thorn in our flesh a buffeting agent of Satan, trying to distract us in our being used by God. And we looked at that last week. Uh, We talked about how the enemy will do whatever he can with whatever means allowed to come against us to try to distract us from the purpose and the calling that God has for our life. And that if he can possibly take our eyes off of Jesus and get them wrapped up in our problems, then it'll make us ineffective for the kingdom of God. And so let's look at how Paul handles the situation. In verse 8, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart me. Three times Paul pleaded that's that's a, a heavy word for petitioning the Lord. It's not like, hey, man upstairs, if you got time to listen. No, this was, Heavenly Father, I'm crying out to you. I am in desperate need right now. It's pleading with God. It, it shows another solid principle for our own struggles. It shows us that there's nothing wrong with going to the Lord when we're experiencing a difficult time. Uh, 
uh, trial, pressure, concern, whatever, whatever it is we're facing, there's nothing unspiritual about taking that matter to the Lord and even, um, you know, pleading with him for him to take it away. Some people think that they're, they're being unspiritual if they pray for their own problems. They, they don't have a problem praying for other people's needs, but if they pray for themselves, they feel like somehow it's just unspiritual. Well, I'd say not so. The Apostle Paul was far from unspiritual. I mean, he's a pretty spiritual man, and he, he prayed. I don't think he could declare Jesus as being unspiritual. And he prayed in the garden the night before he was crucified. In Matthew twenty six thirty nine. it says, He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I mean, that, that's not an unspiritual prayer. In fact, the, the critical part of the equation is in that he was willing to let the Lord's or his Father's will be done. And, and that's critical for us as well. It's not wrong to ask him to deliver us from what it is we're facing, but we have to be ready for his answer. You know, many, many people have distorted the, the concept of what prayer in the life of the Christian is supposed to be, and there's some really bad teaching out there, folks. The whole word of faith movement is unbiblical in this in this area of prayer and faith. And and so if you've kind of been caught up in that, you, you need to know that it's an unbiblical position. There isn't anything in the scripture that would that would determine I can instruct God what to do, and if I have enough faith, he has to move on my behalf. It's totally an unbiblical concept. In fact, it, it turns God into our genie instead of our God. And, and that's, a, that's a bad concept to have. And, and so there, there are some who would teach, if you, if you say these words in this format and with this faith, then God has to perform false teaching. Let's check out the Lord's response to Paul's prayer, and then Paul's response to his answer. Verse 9, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, you would think if anybody had enough faith to get God to answer the prayer, it would be the Apostle Paul. He was a man that served God with his whole heart, unwavering in his faith when he faced opposition. So you would think that God would act on his behalf. Well, not so. God has this unique vantage point into our lives. He, he can see tomorrow just like he can see today and yesterday. And, and so he actually knows what is best for us, even if it doesn't seem like it in the season 
that we're experiencing it. And and so um, he knows everything that is going to take place in my life and in yours. And because of this perspective, there are many prayers that I think should be answered a certain way that God would see as being harmful to me. I'll give you an example of this. Before I came over here to be the pastor, we were in Phelan for many years. I was an assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel, Phelan. In 2006, real early in the year, um, Daniil and I had decided that we were going to put our house up for sale. And, you know, economically it was right. I mean, we... We'd been in our house long enough to build up quite a bit of equity. That was the the peak of the market in 2006. So the house was worth way, way more than we ever anticipated. And so our plan was to sell the house, buy another one in Phelan, and be debt-free. That was our plan. And And so we put it up on the market, and it was crickets. We... <laughs> We didn't even have one person look at our house. And, and I instructed God many times, <laughs> Lord, if, if this all just goes this way, look how perfect it could be. I, I mean, you want me to be debt free. I mean, that's biblical. And it's like, this is perfect. I have the perfect plan for you, God. Not one person came to look at our house. Well, 2007, the market began to crash severely and the Lord began to stir my heart about Calvary Chapel, Apple Valley. And at the end of 2007, I ended up over here as the pastor. It would have been insane if I would have bought another house in Phelan because I would have bought it way higher than the market was worth because in 2007 and 8 it crashed even further. And so I would have been upside down in that house. Well, God could see all of that. Even though I gave him great instruction, he knew that was a bad plan. And so when we got over here, we left our house on the market. For a year I drove back and forth, having many conversations with God again about how this could work. And some guy came in from L.A., and just threw unreal amounts of money at us for our house in Phelan. Uh, probably a third more than the market would even warrant. And we were able to come over here and pay cash for a house and be debt-free. But we wouldn't have been able to do that if I had my original plan all worked out. And, and so God knew. He doesn't answer us according to our desire, he answers according to his will. And he has a greater will for us. And, and so don't misunderstand. God loves to answer prayer right away, too. There are times he does. But it's still according to his will. That's the, the important part of the equation. The Lord answers Paul's prayer of deliverance with these words. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now, that was probably not the answer Paul had hoped for. He probably wanted to be healed. I mean, I would. 
I, I would want to be healed. And, and so that was probably his desire. And yet this is the answer. And, and so in other words, what God was saying is, whatever it is that you're facing, Paul, I will pour out my grace abundantly into your life so that you can face what it is you're facing. And that my grace will be sufficient for you during this time. And so it is for you and I. His grace is sufficient for my life and your life in everything that we are going to contend with. Some are much more difficult than others. But his grace is still sufficient. Whether it's a a physical ailment, you know, many people deal with, with physical issues that are debilitating. God's grace is sufficient to help us face those issues in his strength. Maybe it's a relationship problem. Maybe there's there's turmoil in your home and there's there's a breakdown in communication and 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 you're pleading with the Lord. He's saying, My grace is sufficient for you right now. Hold on to me during this time. Maybe it's a financial burden. The Lord is saying, My grace is sufficient. You keep your eyes on him. Let him be your strength in your time of weakness. Maybe it's an issue with your kids rebelling. His grace is sufficient to carry you through this time. Whatever it is that comes our way, we can know that, that God will give us a measure of his grace to strengthen us where we are weak. So many times we're overwhelmed with life's trials and, and maybe even get angry with God and we shake our fist at him because he didn't answer the way we wanted him to answer. When we should be saying, thank you, Lord, for this abundance of grace that I don't even deserve to be able to face this incredible difficult time that I'm facing. Lord, thank you that in my weakness, your strength is magnifying the glory of God. He's promised that he'll never leave you or forsake you. He's faithful to his promise. Whatever has gripped your life today, may cause you to feel like you're alone, but that's a lie from the pit of hell. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will will be faithful to pour out an abundance of grace in your time of need. And his strength will uphold you in your desperation. Instead of looking for your answer, look to the one who is the answer. Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. You know, this whole idea of of thorn in the flesh was a reality for me for many years. And and I I truly understand this text better than than most of the other texts that I struggled through. From age 16 for 33 years, I had a headache every day, all day, every day, day in, day out. Woke up with a headache, went to sleep with a headache. And some days were more debilitating than other days. And 
I mean, I, I went to every doctor there was. I had multiple surgeries in different parts of my head. They never did facial reconstruction. I was hoping they'd get the smile part in, but, but the whole internal part of my head is rebuilt except for my mind. <laughs> they miss the critical things. I don't, I don't get that. But nothing, nothing took this headache away. And so there were days where, you know, there were things ahead of me that, that needed to be done, and I would just say, Lord, I, I can't do this can't even think can't even see straight and the lord was faithful his grace was sufficient and he was glorified in my weakness he did some amazing things now other people might have thought i did amazing things but but i recognize i knew that in me there was nothing to give but the lord was glorified he was magnified in my weakness now, praise the Lord, in 2008, I went and visited a, a nurse practitioner at Kaiser, and she identified what the headache was, like within five minutes. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I've been to neurosurgeons and panels of doctors, and this nurse said, oh, I know what that is. And she said, if you take this pill, it'll take your headache away, but you have to take this pill once a day, twice a day, and you won't have a headache. I haven't had a headache since 2008, except for when I forget to take that pill. Now, you would think that would be enough to remember, but I set an alarm on my watch now because I am dense, and I forget. (laughs) But I don't have a headache. Praise the Lord. (laughs) But in all of those years, God showed his faithfulness time and time and time again. Now, with with the perspective Paul has given us in these 10 verses, we can face anything that this world brings our way, even if we lose our life in what we are facing. We win. I mean, he's described this this heaven that, that is beyond our ability to even comprehend. And this is the reward to those who who follow the Lord. And so so even if the worst thing possible, humanly speaking, on this earth happens and we die, we win. We get to spend eternity in the presence of God. We have the awesome promise of eternity in this place that's indescribable. Heaven is beyond anything that our finite mind can imagine. And it's a promise to all who have repented and who have received Christ as their Savior. Now, if we face overwhelming trials in this life, we have the promise of God's abundant grace being sufficient to carry us and strengthen us to endure whatever it is that comes at us. In other words, if we're in Christ, we win. Whether it's the reward of heaven or if it's grace and strength in our weakness so that his strength can be magnified and so that he can be glorified. Christian, that's the perspective that we can have from this text. We, we can have that that perspective of looking back at earth and 
realizing that in the scope of all that God is, we're pretty small. He, he can handle it. He can be everything that we need him to be in our time of need. This was the key to Paul's life being victorious. It's the key for your life and my life to be victorious today. Jesus wants your life and my life to be just as effective for the kingdom of God as Paul. So keep your eyes on the one who can make it happen, Jesus. His strength is made perfect in your weakness, in my weakness. Now, maybe you're not a Christian yet. Maybe you came here and you're just kind of checking all this out. You, you can change that today. You can leave this place with this same hope and a relationship with the same God that we've described with a hope of eternity in heaven with him. But you have to receive this, this offer of salvation that God has, has made available to you. The Bible says if we believe that Jesus died for our sins, we put our faith in him, that our sin will be forgiven, that we'll have the hope of eternal life. If we'll just turn and we'll walk towards God. It's an act of faith. It's a step of faith, but you have to take that step yourself. Nobody can take it for you. I'm going to give you an opportunity here in just a moment to pray and to ask Jesus into your life. Let today be the day that you accept his gift of eternal life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your grace so defined for us in these verses. Lord, it's hopeful to know that your grace is sufficient for anything that we will contend with in this life. The hope of heaven will take us beyond, Lord, the temporary things that we face in this world. Lord, help us to have that perspective. Lord, help us to live with that understanding. And I say, Lord, let your strength be magnified in my weakness that you may receive the glory. We pray this in, in Jesus' name. And Lord, I, I pray that if there's any in the room that, that need to make this commitment, that you would draw them to yourself. And I just want to give you that opportunity now to pray and to ask Jesus to be your Savior. If, that, if that's you, put your hand up in the air so I can see it. I want to lead you in a prayer to receive Christ today. Anybody at all? Lord, bless you. Thank you for your faithfulness to minister to us. We love you, Lord. We pray that you would continue to shine in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's